Pixel Therapy is a member of the But Why Though Podcast Network. Go to butwhythopodcast.com for an inclusive geek community offering pop culture news, reviews, and podcasts. There's opinion, which is like a more traditional criticism. There's also stories. Seeing people, yeah, they were talking about the game, but the game wasn't like the focus of the piece. Mm-hmm. It was how they felt if the experience or the story or the characters or the music or something that happened, even if it was just like one moment in like a 20-hour game or like a 100-hour game uh, that stuck with them. That's what I'm interested in. Welcome to Pixel Therapy, the video game podcast where we look at the games we play through the lens of the player, where what you play is just as important as how you play it, and where emotional intelligence is a critical stat. Every other week, we bring on a guest who may or may not consider themselves a gamer to discuss the games that have made them and changed them, and all the feelings they have about our favorite pastime. I'm your co-host, Jamie, pronouns she, her. And I'm your co-host, Spencer, pronouns they, them. And this is Pixel Therapy. We're jumping right in with our Patreon shout-outs. This is our special thank you to everyone who subscribed at our Patreon name in the credits tier. And since it is now February, I've got an updated list for all of you. Fresh out of the oven. Kisses (laughs) to our Valentines. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) (laughs) This month, we're giving a big, warm pixel therapy thank you to Val, Genevieve, Lindsay, Grace, Jackie, Ben, Cortland, and Pimhatai. Thank you all so much for your support. Thank you. Love (laughs) y'all. Remember, if you lovely listeners want to get your name in the credits, you can hop on over to patreon.com slash pixel therapy pod, where you can subscribe for as little as $2 a month and get access to a monthly bonus episode of the show. That's just Spencer and I chatting it up for your listening pleasure. And if you're a fan of what we do here on Pixel Therapy, please consider sharing us with your friends and family, rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, or you can even write into the show by emailing us at pixeltherapypod at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Um, Speaking of sharing us with your friends and family, some people were doing that because apparently (laughs) uh, just this last week, uh, we charted for the first time in Canada. Um, Folks who follow us on Twitter maybe already know this, but we broke the top 200 in Apple Podcasts in the video games category in Canada for the first time this last week. And that was really exciting for us as we're continuing to grow. It's just a little bit of a just podcasting doesn't give you much like audience (laughs) feedback. So uh, it's just really cool to see. And it's just really nice to know that y'all are out there um, listening. So thank you. Hi, friends. Hi, Canadian friends. (laughs) (laughs) All right, folks, it's time to get cozy, pull up an armchair, feel free to lie down on the couch, and let's talk about our feelings. Spencer, how are you? I'm well, Jamie. I I did something yesterday. Um, I did IRL Mario Kart, a.k.a. I went go-kart racing. Oh, damn. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Holy shit. I Okay, I have to say, I have not sat in a go-kart since I was, I want to say like eight or nine years old. So um, I did not know what to expect. And uh, one of my housemates found this place, which is allegedly the fastest go-karts in New England. They go up to 40 miles per hour. Oh my God. (laughs) 
<laughs> really blows the hair back. <laughs> yeah, it really does. I, when I saw that, I was like, um, but when we got there, they got us in these like motorcycle helmets. They got us in neck braces, which oh I, I really appreciated because I did not want to get whiplash. Um, and it's these little go-karts. Um, the center of gravity is like crazy low. So it's kind of like this flat circular-ish car and the engine is kind of similar to like a lawnmower engine it's very loud and Mm -hmm. the oil looked almost like vegetable oil i don't know anything about cars so (laughs) i'm just just painting the verbal picture for all of you but um i have to say like we did um we did a round that was just uh the six of us just a, a few friends um my racer name was gay lightning Oh, so I just I wanted like to that. share that with all of you. Thank you. Um, oh, nice. <laughs> and uh, it's like you go on this like windy track. Like the turns are like crazy hard. And uh, and I, I, something I wasn't expecting is that the cart, um, like it has a brake and a gas, like a little real little car. Um, <laughs> and, but the steering wheel, it's like very, um, very hard to turn the wheel mm. and these turns come up really sharp and you're just kind of like, okay, I guess I'm going to make it around or not. I was definitely Tokyo drifting a bit like, uh, braking. It was just, the braking was very jarring. And so, um, I was doing my best to kind of just like use the momentum. Um, something I was also not realizing is that it's based on like, you're not racing each other. You're just racing to get your fastest lap. Um, uh-huh. So that kind of takes the pressure off in terms of like trying to run people off the road. Um, but <laughs> it was just like a really cool experience. <laughs> I suspect the go-kart place wouldn't want that for liability's sake. <laughs> yeah. They have guys out there with the flags and they, they made us watch this uh, safety video and the oh, safety okay. video had this sticker that was like, do not stop the safety video or we will we can see you and we will prevent you from entering the track and you will not get a <laughs> refund. So we watched this video from like the eighties and they had guys out there like waving uh, different colored flags, depending on like whether it's slow down or move over someone's behind you. Um, uh, and so, yeah, so it, it helps prevent crashes. Okay, that okay. being said, our second race, um, there were two fellows who joined us on the track who were Uh-oh. not part of our party. And oh, they were no. very serious go-karters. You could tell this by the fact that they had their own leather driving gloves Ooh, that they were wearing yep. onto the go-kart yep. track. That's how you know it's real. <laughs> That's how you know. Um, but they were, I I felt... I was out of my league of that second race. They, I was bumped several times. Um, you can't really turn your head and see your blind spot in the go-kart. Yeah, because so. of the neck brace. Yeah, <laughs> the neck brace. Yeah. So I, I felt I was doing my best to stay on the outer edges and let them pass. But this, they were so aggressive and, and kept trying to run me off the road. And they um, don't like that. We got in a go-kart accident. I we crashed. Uh, someone crashed into my back and. I guess go-karts don't have a reverse option. So I had to sit there on the track and wait for the man with the flag to come and pull me backwards and turn my little car around. Oh my God. It's like, it's like the little bird thing in Mario Kart where they come down with yeah, the little light and they with the push you back pole and carry you back. Yeah. It was yeah. very much. I, I really enjoyed my Mario Kart VR experience. I highly recommend it to everyone also known as go-karting. Try yeah. to find a track near you. Throwing um, banana peels out the back. Yeah. That's so my housemate was saying, it's like, oh, it's just, I wish there were banana peels. Like, <laughs> so. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's what I did yesterday. Um, how are you? <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing all right. I can't complain too much. I've been staying up too late playing video games, mm. um, which is, Tis which the is season. bad. Yeah. I don't, I've been like, 
I've been doing this thing lately where I go to lay down to go to bed and mm. then my brain's like, but it's time to be awake. Mm. Why don't you think about all of the things that you might possibly be stressed about in your life? Oh, um, and then we just do we just do the slide. It's, you know, it's old school slideshow uh, projector situation of uh, every single thing that uh, Yikes. that I could possibly have to think about. You know, planning my work day for the next Ugh. day, thinking about things that might come up in the next week to month to year. Mm. And um, yeah, so, so I haven't been sleeping <laughs> as much as I should be. Um, but hey, there's video games. So that's, that's right. been fun. And that's I most of what I did yesterday. <laughs> I saw this tweet that was like, 2022 has been a very no thoughts, brain empty year so far. And I could not agree more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, I think I'm having the opposite problem where there's just too many thoughts. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I feel like, okay, here's my question. Do you feel, yeah. I feel like games when my head is like, here's everything you could possibly think of yeah like the brand that i play a game and it just it just replaces all of that with game content just pushes oh, yeah, it all yeah. out no it's great <laughs> it's great for avoiding all of the things that your brain's throwing at you it's wonderful for that but it seems like since i'm doing that during my wake hours when i go to lay down in bed my brain's like oh you thought you were getting away <laughs> oh you just the backlog of all the shit yeah. that we wanted to think about the last six hours uh, <laughs> yeah so yeah. That's that's uh that's my problem. Gonna work on mm. that. Um, but grateful yeah. to have some good good video games to play. Mm -hmm. Which speaking of, what are you playing these days? Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, this is an exciting month. I think I'm I'm right on the cusp of I feel like the next time we talk, I'll probably be overwhelmed with all of the games I'm playing. I feel like um similarly, I've been in this position of um, I've been very overwhelmed and feeling kind of burnout. Um, it's been a long, dark winter, but apparently um, this first week of February, at least in my time zone, Eastern Standard Time, um, we've passed the point where the sun sets after 5 p.m. Mm. So every every time, every sunset, every consecutive day is now the sun setting like a minute earlier. And so we can rest easier knowing that the sky will be continuing to lighten and we will not be sitting in darkness at 5 p.m. But uh, I feel like <laughs> it is nice. It is nice to <laughs> shut down the computer at the end of the workday and like get up from my desk and like my house isn't in completely pitch yeah. blackness, which it was for a while there because it's just me and the dogs until my partner comes home and I get up and like go out to the living room. It's complete black. Turn on the living room light and both dogs are like blinking in the, <laughs> in the darkness like, oh, hey, is it dinner time? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that has been nice. It's a good yeah, point. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, and I don't know, I've just been a lot, in the, a lot in the old noggin and I feel like I've been reaching for more kind of comfort, cozy games, mm, uh, mm -hmm. not a bigger, bigger, longer titles, um, but things that are more manageable. Um, so one of those has been a game called After Party, which uh, was by Night, Night School Studios, which also made Oxenfree, mm -hmm. uh, a game that I was absolutely obsessed with. And I'm very excitedly looking forward to the sequel. Oh, yeah. I just read something that said, um, so the sequel is called Oxenfree 2 Lost Signals. Mm -hmm. um, and for folks who may not have heard about it at all, it's kind of this um, like supernatural spooky supernatural story about a group of um high schoolers and i think in, in the time of oxford free too it's like now graduated from college um mm. a group of friends who are tied together due to this uh, mysterious occurrence on an island where they activate this ghostly presence uh, through radio signals um but in oxford free too i heard that 
there was a leak in the PlayStation database and it's supposed to launch on February 8th, um, which is just in a couple days. So I don't know if that's true, but yeah, uh, I feel like they would be talking about that more. Right. Okay. So maybe that's like, don't listen to me. I'm just a pot. I'm not a lowly podcaster. <laughs> I mean, hey, look, anything could happen, but I, w- I I don't know. That doesn't seem like a game that you'd shadow drop, but hey, hey who knows? It's like, it's one of the more prestige indies, I would say. Um, but yeah, anyway, I'm would... oh, sorry, go ahead. What were you going to say? No, I was just going <laughs> to say, I, th- I think you'd want a little more uh, more buildup. Yeah, more build Feb- up. February is already so packed. That's, that's going to yeah. be, a, it's a rough release window for sure if they're trying mm-hmm. to squeeze in there. I mean, I personally would make time for it, but I think they'd do better not not dropping with some of the big juggernauts coming out in February. Yeah, like but. Elden Ring and Horizon. <laughs> Horizon. West, like. uh, Dying Light 2 just came out too. That's not for me personally, but that's a big, big open world game. There's just, there's a lot of big, long AAA mm-hmm. experiences available right now. So it feels like a tough window to drop in. Big meaty boys hitting mm-hmm. the scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, so... After Party came out in 2019. So I, I, I don't know. It's funny. I sort of, it totally went over my head, even though I really love Oxenfree. Um, and it's out for PlayStations 4 and 5, Xbox. Um, it's on PC. I got it on PS5. Uh, and I'll Ooh. tell you why. I was <laughs> I was totally having this moment yesterday where I've been playing a ton of games on Game Pass. Like, I feel like yeah. my Xbox has totally stolen my heart. But I really prefer the DualSense controller with the PS5. Mm-hmm. Like, it just... It's such a well-designed piece of hardware. It's yeah. uh, really works great. It's so heavy in the hands, and <laughs> and it uh, the responsiveness and the the way the touch it responds. The way the, the buttons and, click is something yeah, that satisfying. I've noticed. There's like yeah, satisfying is the right word for it. There's there's something, and I can't quite put my finger on exactly what they did because they're yeah. not like clicking. They're not no. clicking, but there's a way that you can just the way they there's are a they respond. To the way you press down on them because uh I, i've been playing yeah like smaller like adventure titles mm-hmm. where i'm not really you know there's no the controller's not rumbling there's nothing mm-hmm. I, like all i'm doing is clicking through screens of text but there's still something really satisfying about the way the buttons just press yeah it's soothing yeah. it's like a weighted blanket for your hands <laughs> yeah ps5 <laughs> controller yeah <laughs> but uh i don't know i so after feeling like I was using a light piece of plastic to play my Xbox games for a few <laughs> weeks, and I'm still salty about the fact that there's no recharge option for the Xbox controller. It's oh, very yeah, wasteful for the environment, those, people. Those battery pack things that they have. Yeah, like, oh man, it's 2022, Microsoft. Um, I, uh, yeah, I just wanted to kind of, you know, get back in bed with my PS5 in honor of Valentine's <laughs> Day episode theme that I'm establishing right now. Um, <laughs> love, when, love when you just take us in a theme direction. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to just uh, surprise Jamie with sudden themes that she had absolutely no time to plan for. Uh, <laughs> Keeps me on my toes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. I just wanted to get back into my PS5. And I also felt um, so After Party is a game much like um, Oxen Free, it's sort of signature move for Night School Studios um, is this 2D exploration um, that's poppeded with this near constant time sensitive dialogue. Like in Night School games, people are constantly talking um, and you kind of have to be paying attention um, because a lot of the opportunities you have to speak, much like a real conversation, sort of fade if, if you're not um, saying something in the right amount of time. Um, and then so in the world of After Party, um, you play as Milo, um, voiced by Koi Dao, and Lola, uh, voiced by Janita Gavankar, uh, who are two best friends who just graduated college. 
um, they get the sense that they're, uh, they party together quite often. Um, they, they aren't necessarily like, um, you know, they're like indie kids who aren't quite fitting in with the mainstream <laughs> crowd and they can't wait for college to end so they can get on with their real lives away from mm-hmm. these posers. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have this sort of pact between them where when one of them drinks, the other always does. Um, and they always will have the same drink together. Um, and so they're at this party kind of celebrating the end of the school year. All of a sudden, the walls fall away. Uh, demons start crawling out of the walls and they realize that they've been dead for at least 10 minutes and they've somehow crossed over into hell. Um, And so you're kind of in this 2D exploration format. You're exploring the beer-soaked, neon, reflecting in rain puddles, back-twisted alleyway kind of hell that's been crafted here. Um, And they realize that the only way to get out of hell is by out drinking Satan. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really cool. Um, so basically the, ba- the, the main mechanic format of the game is um, you're choosing from maybe two to three dialogue options in these conversations with characters. And what you can do is um, order drinks at several different demonic drinking establishments. Um, and the drinks sort of have different effects on your conversation. So one drink might make you really flirty. One drink might make you really aggressive. Uh, one drink might give you uh, liquid courage and make you sort of uh, more confident to access a situation. And so um, when you are, are under the influence of a drink, um, new dialogue options appear that are different depending on the effect of the drink on you. And so you can either... Um, escalate a situation or you can diffuse things or you can cause chaos. uh, And you're basically going through this all night bender, um, meeting different demons, seeing how hell all works and potentially becoming besties with Satan and getting the hell out of there for lack of a better word. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I know you, this is my first time playing the game. Um, I'm a few hours in and it's a quick study. It's maybe like six or seven hours of gameplay seems Mm -hmm. to be the consensus from folks that I've seen talking about it. Um, And there's three different endings. So that kind of flexibility gives you the option to like, it might be something that I could definitely see myself playing a couple times through just because of the length. And also the fact that it is so jam packed with dialogue that it's like, I can't even look away from the screen or I sometimes feel like the rich visual, lush visual world building going on in front of me is competing with the dialogue. Uh, like I'm mm. someone who needs subtitles on when I'm playing, mm-hmm. um, and so I just feel like I'm my eye is constantly jumping all over the place because I don't want to miss anything going on in this very like snappy, almost sorkiny dialogue going on. <laughs> like it's just very like witty and kind of yeah. uh, like lots of quick exchanges and banter happening. Um uh and, and I know that this game it differs from Oxen Free in the fact that genre-wise, it is a comedy. Like it's a mm-hmm. adventure comedy. And I think the the way that the the dialogue is so deeply imbued within the game, it it almost it really feels like you're interacting with and playing something that borders almost like a scripted TV show or like it it just has this I don't I realize I don't play many comedic video games. Yeah. Where I'm like laughing out loud and that's on purpose. Like it's almost set up to be this almost satirical kind of play on 
on heaven and hell and this kind of coming of age story. Um, so it's just, it's doing a lot of things. Um, and so as someone who's played it before, I was wondering if you had any sort of initial remembrances that my musings triggered for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I was excited to hear that you were playing this game. I played it I this was a, one of those indie games that I was like very closely watching before it came out. So I played it like right when it came out. So I'm kind of uh, pulling digging through the cobwebs of my mind right now. Um, the I remember loving the art style. I remember loving the characters and the snappy dialogue. I the the thing that sticks with me the most about the game though is that it did not hit for me to the degree that Oxenfree did. Like I think Oxenfree. Oh, yeah. Uh, just the, the narratively in terms of what they're doing with the story, the characters and oxen free, all of that really res like tonally resonated for me a lot better. I think some of the, because after parties, a comedy, I remember some of it being hitting and some of it being a big whiff for mm -hmm. me. Also, unfortunately, when the game came out at release, it was pretty buggy. I mm. had some crashes. I had gameplay slowdown and stuttering. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, the the way the story all resolves um, left me a little cold. Mm. But I did really like the core characters, like the Milo and I apologize. What was the other Lola. ones? Milo and Lola. I found them to be really engaging. And I thought their dynamic was really interesting, too. And the game does try to, like, kind of dig in on them a little bit and yeah. try to better understand why they they both kind of, if I remember correctly, kind of, I think you alluded to this, too. They kind of have, like, a chip on their shoulder mm -hmm. of feeling like they're a little bit better than other people. And yes. it kind of, like, pokes at that and, and tries to uncover, like, where are those feelings coming from? Like, they're both very judgmental people. Yes. And... They are both surprised to find that they've gone to hell. Yes. Like, why did they go to hell and not the better place? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so watching them unpack all of that, I thought was really interesting. Um, I wish the drink system felt mm. more impactful. Mm -hmm. I think that the drinks were more of a puzzle than a way to really yes. dramatically influence the story. And I felt like the game was a little bit unforgiving in terms of some of the mechanics. If you make a mistake, sometimes you can just totally get locked out of things and narratives. Mm -hmm. And I remember getting frustrated by that a little bit too. For a for a narrative game, I wanted a little more flexibility to kind of experiment with the way things might work and then go from there. But by and large, I didn't, you know, I enjoyed my time with it. Unfortunately, it's some of those more like the sticking points that have stayed with me over the years. But I do remember the art style being really cool and just mm -hmm. I, I think it's a really great setup for a game it's a really great narrative thrust that they put you on mm -hmm. i just don't know if it fully pays off but i'm glad yeah. you're liking it so far that all hits for me i think um it's what's working for me what i'm loving about the game are i mean first of all it's gorgeous on the ps5 i think that like you said this is a really wonderfully realized world um so it's like essentially hell is like this college town where as soon as the uh, the bell that rings that lets you off work at 5 p.m. that doesn't exist, but we all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as they're off the clock, um, everyone just goes to these bars and these different areas of hell and are partying together. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about demons and humans. Like, everyone's mingling. Everyone's um, just, like, dancing all night together. And the characters, Milo and Lola, are kind of like, why? Because as soon as you get to hell, um, you learn that the two of you uh, are kind of the first to be sent together. Like you're you're tied together throughout your journey in hell um, and you're judged together 
and your assigned tortures together, um, as well as uh, a personal demon whose job is to torment you mentally. Uh, uh, the demon's name is Sister Mary Wormhorn, and she pops up from time to time and is yeah, absolutely delightful. Um, <laughs> And it's like, you know, they get there and they have to go through processing uh, with this like agent who asks them to answer a bunch of rapid fire questions and is going to be essentially matching them with a role and uh, a method of torture in hell. Um, and right when it's your turn to go up and, and, and there's people in front of you in cages and it's like, oh, you were you cut in line in grocery stores a lot. So you're being sent to have your boobs chopped off every day for the rest of your <laughs> life. And every day they grow back bigger. And like this other guy, they're like, we're gonna hang you by your nuts from a pole and kids will use your head as a ball. And it's just like, and the two of you are like, oh my God, we gotta get out of here. And right before it's your turn to get your torture assigned, um, the demon assigning tortures is like, oh, fuck, it's like 501, like I'm off the clock, like I'll, you'll get your tortures tomorrow. Uh-huh. Um, and the two of you are like, wait, we don't understand, like, can't, like, why can't you just tell us what it is? And, and also, like, why are humans just walking with you to the bar? And the demons are kind of like, I mean, we don't want to be torturing y'all all day either. Like, we don't make the rules. We just have, this is just a job to us. Um, and you sort of quickly learn that um, hell wasn't, a place created by Satan. It was created by God. Um, and Satan uh, is God's son and was an angel. Um, this is all, you know, like common knowledge for people who have read the Bible, but like, um, you know, in the, in his characterization in this story, Lucifer, uh, AKA Luke, as he's referred to by a couple of characters, um, you know, tried to rebel against God, didn't work out. He and his siblings got cast down into hell. God made the rules and was like, you've got to torture people and be the arbiter of punishment for eternity. And Satan is pretty much just like, okay, let's make the best of a bad situation. Like, I'm going to try to keep my demons employed. I'm going to try to make hell as fun as it can be since we're Mm -hmm. all stuck here together. Um, And it's basically just this kind of like, towny culture uh, where they're all Mm -hmm. sort of bonded by this shared experience of having to give and receive punishment for eternity. (laughs) Um, So it's just like, um, it's really refreshing, like a really refreshing underworld situation. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, a, a, a memorable character is actually voiced by Ashley Birch, um, who folks may know she's Aloy in Horizon Zero Dawn and Horizon Forbidden West. Um, she was Mel in Last of Us 2. She's also like a bunch of people on the Life is Strange. Uh, she's been in Life is Strange games. Um, and she's pretty prolific. Uh, and she is she plays a psychopomp, which is something I, I didn't know was a thing. I, I, I googled psychopomp. Psychopomps are creatures, spirits, angels, or deities in many religions whose responsibility is to escort newly deceased souls from Earth to the afterlife. Their role is not to judge the deceased, but simply to guide them. So Ashley plays Sam, a psychopomp who is essentially this demonic cab driver um, who carts you around and is kind of like your unofficial guide slash friend uh, in this new world um and so it's just this like very tongue-in-cheek uh richly realized world that is like very fun to be partying in um and just the kind of abandon with which people around you are uh 
you know, letting loose and sort of there's this aspect of um, social media where like people will be tweeting kind of like, uh, and you can see the tweets popping up on their phone um, and just reacting to things going on around you. So it just feels very much like you're out at a club and there's a lot of chaos happening around you, but there's also like these very specific um, events and conversations and convoluted, twisty, turny ways that I can go. And it just feels like um, there's all this possibility. um, And it's like this, this tension of like the horror of like, oh my God, uh, we just went to a party at a bar celebrating the serial killer who just came to hell and everyone's partying because he killed a bunch of people on earth. So he's like, kind of like the man down here in hell. (laughs) Um, But also balancing that with like the fact that, um, you know, you're all just kind of stuck there and there's, there's like community in that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know. It's it's really cool. I'm, I'm enjoying it. <laughs> yeah, I do remember the like the world building and the meta narrative being my favorite parts of it. I think as as I continue to think back on it, I think one of the things that I struggled with was the was the characterization of the two main characters. Mm. They put a lot in your. I, I don't know. I felt at odds with the dialogue choices that I was making for them and what the game seemed to be telling me about them sometimes, and also struggled to find their distinct personalities Mm. against each other there. They had a lot of similarities and I I don't know, there was something about their dynamic and the way you're in you're influencing and not able to influence who Mm. they are and what their dynamic was that I felt that I struggled with a bit that didn't quite ring. Like it just, it felt like they weren't set in who they were, which obviously they're in a moment of transitioning growth, but I, I just couldn't, I, tr- I struggled to get a bead on who they really were. Mm. And there's a lot of points, especially in that early game where the game lets you make dialogue decisions to kind of decide who they are. Yes. But then I didn't feel like I was able to follow through on who I had said these people mm. were as I played the game. And yeah, I don't know. I think that's tough to do. Yeah. When you have a game like that where you're making all these dialogue choices, like the developers mm. obviously still have a story that they're trying to tell about the characters, but if they right. let you kind of decide when, yeah, you're kind of like co-authoring that with them and and I guess the the narrative I was trying to author often felt at odds with what the the game developers were trying to actually tell the story totally. about. Felt a little weird. Totally. Yeah, that resonates. Um, I think it's it's a game that's really trying to do a lot in a relatively short time frame. Um, yeah, and I think in a lot of ways it succeeds. But like, mm-hmm. but like the very ambitious undertaking, like as is reflective of that, I think there are some ways in which it maybe fell a little short. Um, I think I'm really glad to be exploring it now in in 2022 and sort of feeling like, Oh, I missed out on this little gem. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm having a great time. Um, but I absolutely see the ways in which, um, I mean, it's really doing so much, especially with how much narrative and is just jammed in there. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, yeah, really cool game. Um, if folks are looking for something, um, a little shorter, um, but also wanting to be fully, submerged submerged in a world (laughs) that um feels very fresh and unique um i definitely recommend after party awesome jamie yeah are you playing (laughs) oh i'm I'm playing some stuff 
Um, I've, I'm continuing to be in a mode where I'm kind of hopping between a few different things. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I wanted to talk about today that that I jumped into and that immediately grabbed me and I, I pretty much devoured it over the course of a couple of days mm. is this delightful little game called Toem. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> so Toem uh, was released in September of last year. It's out on Switch, PS5, and PC. The It's developed and published by a game company called Something We Made, which is mm. just a small three-person studio based in Sweden. And this is actually the first game that they've done together. Um, you may have seen Toem. I think if, if you've seen Toem in any trailers or anything, any showcases, you would probably remember it as the hand-drawn uh, 3D isometric game that's entirely in grayscale. Mm. It's all gray and black and white, which is a really unique art style that I think works for the game really well. It just makes it visually very interesting. Um, but the thrust of the game is that you play as this young person. It's kind of a coming of age story. Mm. Um, you play as this young person, you wake up one day, you live with your grandmother and your grandmother's like, Hey, uh, this is so exciting. Today's the day. Today's your big day. You're going on your big trip. I'm like, okay, great. Uh... I'm going to go on a big trip. (laughs) And she's like, I got you something. And she gives you a camera and she's like, Hey, you know, take pictures while you're on your trip. And then she sends you out into the world. And that's the thrust of the game. You know that you are going to see the Toem but you don't know what the Toem oh. is. And so you spend the entire game going to different cities along this bus route. And in each city, you have to collect so many stars to get mm. a free bus pass to the next city yeah. or to the next <laughs> area. And you collect stars by doing little favors for people around the community. Usually it involves taking pictures uh, because you've got this awesome little camera. Mm. And that's kind of the setup for the game. You know, you've got this 3D perspective. It's an adventure game. You're having little conversations with people. But you're kind of going around these um, fairly simple little worlds. Everything's kind of broken down into maps that load one at a time. So mm. you're not, uh, you know, you walk into an area, you can see just that area. And then you can kind of see where the exit to that area is. And that will bring you into a new little area. So you're you're not like seeing a huge open world map in front of you at all times. Everything feels very contained. Um, which keeps it from being overwhelming, I think, for me sometimes with an open world game that's uh, especially open like this, where it's like, just go around and talk to people and earn yeah. stars like that. Those <laughs> limitations make it feel less overwhelming, even though there's still a lot to do. I feel like I can manage it because mm-hmm. I'm working within these little blocks of area. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the game gives you that camera and you go around. You can when you take pictures they go into your album. You have an album that can hold, I want to say it was it was like close to 100 pictures. Mm. And you can just take pictures of whatever you want. You can pull out the camera. And what happens when you pull out the camera is that the game puts you in a first-person perspective and you can see the lens of the camera. You can zoom in, zoom out, focus on a thing. But because everything's in grayscale uh, and because it's all hand-drawn art, there's no messing with the lighting. There's no... I've, I've played other games that are photography simulators where you pull the camera up and you've suddenly got a whole litany of options right. as though you're an actual <laughs> photographer. Yeah. And I'm sure that appeals to people who really are into photography as a, mm. as a thing. But for me, I get all those options and then I just kind of get stressed or I can yes. pull up that camera and I have all those options. And now I'm spending 45 minutes trying to get this one perfect <laughs> shot Yeah, when I need to be like the whole game is taking pictures and oh, guess what? Now the game is 80 hours long because you're spending <laughs> <laughs> you're spending 10 years taking right. each picture. Um, this game really makes it simple. It's mm. it, honestly, I felt 
you know, obviously the story of the game is that you are this little person going on this journey. Um, I say little person because they're the, just the character model on the screen. You don't quite look human. You've got yeah. kind of like this long, weird nose. Like some of the characters look human. Some of the characters look like, like other a little things. bird person. Yeah, almost like a little bird person. But you're definitely not supposed to be a bird. I think they're just kind of, it's all very cartoonish. Mm. Um, and And you're just like generally smaller than the other characters on the screen. But you, when you are taking these pictures, it really evokes the sense of how I feel personally when I'm traveling. Mm-hmm. Like, I really felt encouraged to be like, oh, there's a squirrel in that tree. I'm just going to snap a little picture of that squirrel. And you take the picture, it shows up in your album, and then you can go through your album and you can be like, oh, that, that one didn't come out. And you can mm-hmm. delete it or you can keep it in your album. And the game gives you a whole, uh, this list of, there's a page in your album book that has the name of the picture already on it but there's no picture in there. And so it kind of sets up this, uh, you can try oh. to search for those pictures. Like what yeah. does it actually want you to take a picture of? And if you get the right one, uh, you know, a little thing will come up on the screen. So it's had a really great little task system. I'm oh. both doing tasks and stuff for community members and earning my stars to get the next bus pass. But I've also got this sort of side quest sort of system where I'm trying to take pictures of the things to get them to show up in my album. And it, I don't know. It was just really delightful. I think maybe the whole game said and done, I was probably in it for six or so hours, maybe mm. even a little bit less. Um, but because it really evoked that sense of of travel and I was capturing things, it just, I don't know. I, I, we've been in COVID now for two years. Mm-hmm. And even before that, like my partner and I are, we're homebodies. Like we're not really people who travel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been on like a handful of big trips internationally in my life. And, but one thing I always like doing when I'm on those trips is just capturing small, little things like i'm not a photographer but just pulling out my phone being like oh this little like statue here is cute or this uh tip jar in this restaurant i think they've got like a cool sticker on it so i'm gonna take a picture of this and i think toem really captures that you can just so easily pull your camera out capture a little moment and save it Hmm. and then again i did feel like a nostalgia as i approached the end of the game and i was flipping back through pictures that i had (laughs) taken earlier in the game it was like oh i remember that moment and i don't know it it, it really struck a chord with me. I think, um, you know, the the game does have... I encountered a few little tech difficulties. There were a few times, especially when I was trying to solve the puzzles with the album of like, oh, I, I think this is what it wants me to take a picture of. So I try to take a picture and it doesn't click. So I'm mm. like, okay, that's not the thing. So I'd go away. I'd go through the whole map. I wouldn't find the thing. I'd come back to the thing I had originally taken a picture of and just try to take the picture from a slightly different angle or with a slightly different focus. And then it's like, oh, yeah, that's the mm. thing. I was like, okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the number of times that that happened, I could probably only I could probably count on one hand. Yeah. And honestly, I was really impressed for this being a three-person team. Yeah. The seamlessness of how the photography works and how it registers what you're taking a picture of really worked well a lot of the the quests that the community members give you to is around taking pictures of specific things so the whole thing is kind of this puzzle game of somebody being like i need to see x and then you're going through the map and trying to find that thing to get a picture of it Mm. and sometimes you have to set up certain scenarios for example at a certain point in the game you earn a little horn air horn (laughs) Or mm-hmm. bike is a bike horn kind of a thing, not an air horn, a bike horn <laughs> that, that goes on your camera, and you can use it to startle things. Mm. So you can startle birds, and that might open up a new path. Or maybe the birds were eating a sandwich that you want to take a picture of, and nice. you can startle them and scare them away. Or there's another section where there's 
there's a woman who's skipping around and if you hit the horn she'll jump in the air and you can get a picture of her jumping <laughs> and that gives you a little quest uh marker so i don't know just a really fucking cute game the ending was super beautiful like the reveal of what the toem was uh just felt like a really heartwarming emotional moment even though it 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 took so little to get it it still hit for me and the score it's really cute simple charming score um i got the platinum Nice. In those number of hours, which for someone like me who does enjoy like <laughs> trophy hunting and just it was a good brain scrub kind of game, just mm. like doing simple tasks, easy to achieve, but still felt very charming and like low stress. I really liked it. Yeah, I love the way that it encourages and evokes that feeling of just unbridled curiosity in the world around you and interacting with uh, your surroundings like um I don't know. I just, there's so, I, I guess I, I put a lot of pressure on myself. I feel like sometimes to like take a good picture or I get frustrated mm-hmm. when I take a picture and it's not the way I imagine it in my head or yep. I feel like things aren't good enough to preserve because it's not something that would be postable or shareable to social media. And that's a poisonous thought. And so um, I just, I love hearing you talk about that and how it, it just does the opposite. It just like bring reminds of that simple pleasure of just like seeing cool shit in the world and being like oh i like that and yeah and i want to capture that yeah it lets you do selfies too Mm. and i ended up with several (laughs) pictures i don't know it was just it was so interesting to see a thing or a person and have an interaction with them and knowing that like I'm going to continue my journey. This is not someone that I'm going to be friends with long term. But let me turn around and just like snap a quick selfie of us. And then that goes in the book. And when you're (laughs) kind of flipping through all the, you know, when the credits roll, it shows you all the pictures Uh, that you took in the credits. And you see that picture and you're like, oh my gosh, it's that guy. I remember (laughs) that little thing that we did. I I think it's really impressive that they were able to evoke that feeling with such a simple, in such a simple format, such a simple art style. Uh, I, yeah, I, I really love the experience. Definitely worth worth a few hours. I, the game's fairly cheap. I want to say I got it on sale, but I want to say full price. It's like ten or fifteen dollars. Yeah, I definitely think this is worth people's time. I also say if anyone's played a short hike, uh, which came out a couple years ago and is similarly about a, a young person who's taking a trip up a mountain, um, and they kind of like the game kind of very similarly obscures like why you need to get to the top of this mountain. It's mm-hmm. just like you just need to get up there. So you spend the whole the whole time like kind of interacting with other characters on the island and climbing this mountain. Um, I think this game definitely shares a lot of DNA with that. It, for me, though, I, I actually found the the photographic element more enjoyable than some of the game gameplay stuff that the game has you do in a short hike. Hmm. Even though I, short hike's story was more emotionally resonated with me, but I think if anything about this game that I'm saying sounds interesting to you. I think those are both good games to try. Just simple, uh, kind of like it's a evocative emotional narrative that is able to do a lot emotionally without actually doing a lot in terms of writing and Mm. plot. Mm. Yeah. It's beautiful. It was, it was really, really sweet. Really cute little time. All right, let's go ahead and transition over to our guest today. Today, our interview is with Diego Arguello, founder and editor-in-chief of gaming criticism and storytelling site Into the Spine, and now a featured contributor at Fanbyte. Diego is a writer with a passion for storytelling and how we talk and write about games. Spencer and I dug in with him about the mission and vision of Into the Spine, which he created to be a place to foster a community of new and aspiring writers 
focused on sharing knowledge and providing mutual support in navigating challenges like isolation, editor rejection, and the perpetual anxiety that a piece of writing might catch the ire of a toxic fan base. (sighs) A really unfortunate aspect of games journalism Mm -hmm. these days. Then we close things up with a chat about Persona 5, a game Hell that's yeah. near and dear to both of our hearts, as you all well know. And, uh, and Diego shares with us his own story <laughs> of how the game brought him some real-life closure. We really appreciated the thoughtful and genuine conversation we had with Diego, and I'm sure that you all will too. So without further ado, here's our interview with Diego Arguello. to our wonderful guest and thank you so much for joining us in the virtual pixel therapy studio to start could you share your name and your pronouns hi yeah this is diego arroyo i'm a pronoun of are he him thank you and diego how do you spend your time that's a very good question um <laughs> i've been spending my time trying to have like more of my me time and not like just like mm. work 24 7 this year uh so i've been doing it's just like being watching shows on TV and playing rock band because I got into rock band in 2022 for some reason. <laughs> uh, just like fulfilling that a long time, like kids dream I had. Mm. Uh, and it's great. Uh, I'm very glad Love I did that. that. Uh, and just, I don't know, procrastinating on Twitter, um, listening to music. That's, that's probably it, I think. Beautiful. And Diego, you mentioned working 24-7. We know about you that you are a prolific writer and editor. You are the founder of Into the Spine, a platform for stories about video games and what they leave behind. Could you tell us a bit more about the mission of Into the Spine? Yeah, sure. Uh, First of all, thank you for the kind words. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so Into the Spine started in early uh, 2018. It's been a long while. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it basically came from this idea. I had started like freelancing in 2017 uh, for international outlets after spending two years uh, writing mostly as a hobby here in Argentina mm-hmm. for like local sites. Um, and I had started like knowing folks and like uh, having a lot of help from from uh, established freelancers and also new freelancers like me. Uh, who had like other experiences as well. Um, and I was finding out that there was a huge gap for like new people in the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, no, I don't know. Like, for example, I didn't know how, like, what even was a pitch or mm-hmm. uh, how to reach out to like editors or like all these kinds of stuff that uh, are kind of like second nature nowadays for me. Uh, yeah. But for a long time, like for years, it was like uh, a constant learning progress. So Into Spine was mostly uh, came from this idea of uh, trying to like reduce that gap for newcomers, um, mm-hmm. like provide tools where it is like for pitching, for like writing, for like after publication, uh, giving them like a first byline in the industry mm-hmm. um, and helping them even if they're like, I, I never asked for a, for like a perfect like idea or summary of their pitch. Uh, it was mostly like, okay, if I know like they have something to say, uh, that's enough for me. Um, like they're gonna be having like um, like longer conversations with editors like in no time. So it's just like um, I don't know. Like their first step should be like 
as less painful and stressful as possible. Mm. Uh, and then just like take it from there, I guess. So it's been, it's been nice. It's been almost four years now. <laughs> it's amazing and, and wonderful to see that growth. Um, and you mentioned, you know, it's, it's been several years. The platform has grown. Um, you fostered mm. the growth of many writers. Um, how did you go about growing the platform into what it is today? Yeah, that's an interesting question because I didn't do much legwork. <laughs> <laughs> it was just kind of like happened naturally, which is still yeah. amazes me to say. Um, so it all started with this, uh, you know, like a WordPress blog. Uh, I started like inviting uh, the people that I, that I was meeting uh, to write for the mm. site um, or f- for the blog during, during that time. Uh, and I was offering. Uh, a ten dollar rate, which was like super, like modest and lo- low, basically. Mm. Uh, but with the promise of, okay, I know the rate isn't great um, because I'm. I think I was almost twenty at the time. Uh, I had a job and everything, but yeah, mm. it was a different time for me. Yeah, uh, financially wise, but um, the outside was uh, I, I was gonna to be like. Uh, more than willing to help them uh, with freelancing in general, uh, answering questions and like giving them uh, any tools that they need uh, to like start their careers or, or like take you um, even higher, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way of doing that was uh, with a Discord server um, where I started like inviting like all my peers. Uh, mm. And a lot of people that I haven't met uh, before, but I just like cross paths on Twitter. Uh, and I started like kind of growing from there. I think mm. uh, I think it, I think it was yeah. We were like maybe like less than ten people for a long while. Uh, we ended up being forty by the end. Wow! Uh, and most of them are freelancers that like everyone reads and sees every day now. Uh, now they are like editors and staff writers are like, I don't know, like super, they they always been talented. I always say that, uh, mm. but they're like hyper talented nowadays. And it's great yeah. to see them like doing even greater things. Um, so I had that on one end and on the other end, I was like starting to like commissioning, uh, more people that I didn't know anything about. Um, so yeah, so like the server was like one thing and the side kind of like grew into its own thing, uh, mm-hmm. which is great to see. Um, uh, well, after a lot of, I'm going to be talking about this later when I talk about my favorite game. Mm-hmm. Um, but after like disbanding the, the server last year, uh, the site was like uh, still in its place, I think. Mm. Uh, so like that mission stands, even if I don't have like that, um, server as a place for gathering or sharing advice mm-hmm. and so on. Uh, I've been seeing a lot of freelancers that I work with, um, sharing that same enthusiasm and the, and the same, uh, willingness to help others, mm-hmm. uh, even on social media or in other servers or, or any other place. Um, no, no, it feels good to see that. Uh, yeah, 
I mean, you mentioned that, you know, you, you felt like you didn't really have to do much. It just sort of grew on its own. And uh, there was all of this energy of so many people coming together, supporting each other. Um, what do you think was special about Into the Spine? What made it different from other publications? And why do you think uh, it was able to be this kind of space that brought so many people together who are now, you know, people that um, have become mainstays in the in the freelance game journalism space? Hmm. I think that whatever response I pick for this gonna sound like I'm bragging, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think a little bragging is okay. <laughs> uh, thank you, thank you. Um, I don't know. I think it was just uh, there was like a this camaraderie. I think mm. of like uh, oh, I landed on the beach with this publication. Uh, like everyone will share it. Like pretty much like a minute or two after. Mm. Uh, and then they would share, like, oh, yeah, so they told me, I know, for example, they're looking pitches on this topic or this topic, or they're planning, I don't know, uh, an editorial package next month, and they're looking for ideas. Um, or, like, yeah, I, or, like, for example, other cases, it would be, like, I didn't have, like, the best experience with this editor. Mm. Uh, we would all, like, try and help and see uh, if there was a solution for that. Uh, and in some cases, the solution was okay. We like none of us are going to be pitching this publication ever again, <clears> uh, and that happened. And it wasn't just like a matter of solidarity; it wasn't just a matter of. Um, I think it's this thing where we were all freelancers, <clears> uh, and in the technical sense, we were all like competing with each other, quote unquote. <clears> but it didn't feel that way. Uh, <clears> I wouldn't say it didn't feel that way for everyone. Uh, because it's as I I learned a, a lot during that time, um, and I learned that it's it's kind of hard to like um, be on top of so many people at the same time, and mm. uh, expect all of them to have like the same level of like um, I don't know like expectations and self like worth and everything. Mm. Seeing like I don't know, like maybe I was doing like one or two pieces. A month, and there was like this freelancer who was like churning pieces like every day. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but that's what we all see on Twitter. Uh, and here it was like seeing the other end of like then chasing invoices or like chasing emails mm. or doing all these kinds of stuff. Um, so yeah, seeing like that more like intimate process, I think, uh, helped a lot. Yeah. But, like, I don't know, so, something good uh, built around that, that I wasn't expecting. Mm. Um, no, no, it was, as I say, I didn't do much. It just like, <laughs> uh, I had I had the fortune of like, um, stumbling upon a lot of good people mm. during those years. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, like all of them are like, most of them are still in touch or have become like actual like friends. Uh, there was a point before like 2020 where we all like started like planning trips and like to go and see each other and that uh, happened. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's been mm -hmm. super unexpected, I think, but great at the same time. Absolutely. I mean, I think freelance writing can be a very lonely endeavor and you're facing mm. pretty much constant rejection. And the only assurance that you have that you actually have something worth saying is largely coming from yourself until you have the validation of 
some outlet that also agrees that you're worth investing in. And so I can absolutely see how having this network of people who are all in the same boat um, and have giving able to extend that support to each other um, is incredible. And a lot of this stuff is really difficult to learn. There's no one really giving you the the keys to enter the space. And so it often can, you know, you can look at a writer who you see as successful and wonder like, how did they, who did they know? How did they get here? How did, who did, what, what was their path? Um, there's this, I think there's often this perception that there's like a right way and a wrong way um, hmm. to be a writer and to be successful. And so um, I just think it's really incredible, uh, this community that you fostered um, and the mutual support that came out of that and seeing how, how it lifted so many of you up. It's just really awesome to see. Thank you. Since launching Into the Spine, um, you've written for platforms including Eurogamer, Polygon, The Verge, Washington Post, um, and you recently joined Fanbyte as a featured contributor. Congrats. Thank you. Um, yeah. As you look back over the past five years, um, how do you feel like gaming journalism has changed? Hmm. Yeah, so I think I might be, uh, in my position, might be biased because of that change. <laughs> Uh, like my perspective on that change came from like, um, like like I would say like uh, seeing like my close like close peers like, um, trying to like make because at first it was like, uh, we're trying to like make make it better, uh, mm-hmm. like for us, mm-hmm. uh, and then we all started like trying to like make it better for other people as well. But it was mm-hmm. like. Twitter in general, for example, uh, or like closer peers that we all had, um, separate from the group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, yeah, what I was mentioning earlier is just, I think I see like, even if Twitter is just Twitter, uh, <laughs> and it's a, it's a tough space to be in and navigate. Mm-hmm. Uh, it always has been, but I think it's been, uh, I don't know, hasn't been too kind. Uh, in the past two years now, yeah, um, for obvious reasons. But I think I see more of a willingness from a lot of people to like help and bond that, mm. that at least I didn't see in 2017 or 2018 when I started. Um, and that's great. Uh, there's like less restraint uh, in helping each other in telling other people like, hey. Reach out to me if you have questions about like how to pitch this publication, for example. Hmm. Uh, that's one thing, and the other would be, um, despite seeing a lot of uh, sites or gaming verticals that unfortunately uh, came to a close, and a lot of people like lost their jobs, especially hmm. in twenty twenty. Um, there's always. Like that thing where a door closes but a window opens. Uh, yeah. There's like publications like like Fanbyte or or The Gamer or I don't know like or even just like indie publications uh, like Uppercut, for example, which started. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a rerun uh, at the same time that I was starting into Spine. Mm-hmm. Uh, they became huge uh, during this, this last couple of years. Um, so I think, yeah, there's been like more places for people to like 
try new ideas or like express themselves in ways that aren't just like news or like the uh, gameplay story, whatever conclusion, whatever review from like mm. years ago. Um, new from like big platforms, I think. Um, so yeah, I mean, there, there's been a lot of cool stuff happening. Uh, yeah. As always, there's still a lot uh, of work to do. Um, I know, and this is something that, that I've been trying to like find a solution for it, and I, I haven't found it yet. Uh, I'm sure that for every people that actually pitch, like, I don't know, into a spine or like uh, uppercut or like unwinnable or like independent publication for the first byline, uh, there are many others that maybe for a, because of like a language barrier or uh, not finding like a spine between like, I don't know, them going how to pitch or like how to get into video games writing on Google. Yeah. Uh, and they miss an opportunity or they have like one bad experience with an mm-hmm. editor. Uh, but one first bad experience with an editor can be a, <laughs> uh, a tough thing uh, to navigate if you're just on your own, which is yeah. usually the case. So. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think the gap is still there. Mm. Uh, now we'd love to know if there's a like. I don't know. I don't think there's a like a, a button to press, and it all mm. just like it's it's solved. But um, I'm beginning to believe that a lot more people are more willing to help in general, and that's being like um, opening up the space to like new voices that. Mm maybe wouldn't have been there like a couple of years ago. Absolutely. What do you think was the most helpful thing for you uh, when you were trying to establish yourself as an early writer? Mm. Folks like helping me to gain confidence, I think. Mm. Uh, I mean, I, I, I was born in Argentina, like my native uh language is spanish not english uh i always like english because like <laughs> playing video games were all in english and mm. the music i was listening to was in english and um and i remember like myself like i don't know like playing something like silent hill and being like key what's a key and like writing the dictionary and being like key shabby mm. oh okay yeah this is a this is a key um and like i had those first two years of experience with local outlets um, where uh, I was doing like pretty random entry stuff, uh, mostly like news, uh, mm. with like a very like oh no, it wasn't like the best format to like express myself. I'll put mm-hmm. it that way. Uh, and then I started <laughs> yeah. like finding all these like maybe like small or indie uh, or indie publications or like big publications, uh. I were commissioning like opets and editorial pieces and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and I, I wanted that. Like, I wanted to be like, okay, I want to write for this side. I want to like write in this manner. Um, but the language barrier was always there. Even if I always knew uh, English uh, just because of pure curiosity, like I learned for like uh, games or like talking to people from like other countries. Uh, over the years, mm. 
but all that experience didn't really matter when I was started sending pages. Mm. Like there was an editor who was like, oh, so like this person wrote, I don't know, like 300 news pieces uh, mm. that must like account for something. And it was more like, okay, this is cool, but can you like make a, which is understandable mm. to a degree, but it was more like, can you make a draft or something in English so I can like uh, see what your your current like level is and how you can write and everything. Mm. Uh, that makes sense, but it also was like starting from scratch. Yeah. Um, in a lot of ways. So, uh, or even like just podcasts. I, I used to like, uh, be terrified of like talking to other people. Mm. Uh, and a lot of folks have been helping me in that regard, like throughout like my entire career, I would say. Mm. Um, and that's something I really value. Uh, I hope other folks uh, have at least someone on their side that is giving them uh, similar support as well, I think. Absolutely. Well, we're very glad you're here and you are <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, excellent at being interviewed. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so... As someone who's helped writers from all over the world grow their craft, uh, what qualities do you think make for a great video game critic? You mean as a, as a, like as video game critic as a person or like as a Yeah, side? like Sorry. what sort of things make for good video game coverage and good video game writing that might be different from, you know, just like talking about the news? Um, I think it was interesting earlier how you mentioned um, like video game reviews aren't just talking about like mechanics and graphics anymore. There, there's something deeper happening when we talk about games. And I'm just curious, like, um, to have you speak more about that. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, that's that's also a really good question. Uh, I'm not. It's funny. I'm not that type of of critic who like has like I don't know an academia background. Um, I can make like these super long essays, uh, which like are have, like, a kind of vocabulary that made me like Google words like every five <laughs> minutes. Mm. Uh, that's one type of criticism that maybe I cannot <laughs> talk about too much. Yeah. Um, but for me, uh, it's more about, uh, I don't know. I think there's, there's always, Maybe some some games or like me in general doesn't like uh it, it has a chance of not generate anything to like uh whoever's like watching or playing or listening. Uh but when it does, uh no matter like how big or small it is, um talking about it in coverage I think it's what makes it distinct and mm. interesting to read. Uh like for example in Spine, like or categories are like there's opinion which is like a more traditional uh criticism but there's also stories uh mm. not always interested in hearing like stories like the word stories sounds like simple but um <laughs> that's that's what i always like to read uh that's what surprised me when i was starting out uh seeing people yeah they were talking about the game but the game wasn't like the focus of the piece. Mm. It was how they felt. Uh, if 
the experience or the story or the characters or the music or something that happened, even if it was just like one moment in like a 20 hour game or like a 100 hour game uh, that stuck with them. Um, that's what I'm interested in. Well, I was yeah. interested in reading, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating to me how there's something about games that really engenders this really deep emotionality and this, uh, like, similarly, like, the video game stories that I'm most interested in reading are the ones where people are drawing connections between what they're playing to something in their own life or an understanding about their self that they haven't been able to come to without the help of the game or how the yeah. game helped them cope with something. Um, and it's just, like, there's so many contexts in which we can engage with games, and um, there's just something so powerful about them. Um, I guess that leads my, to my next question, which is you write a lot about games. Uh, do you consider yourself a gamer? Do you identify as a gamer? So <laughs> I, I think <laughs> being in, uh, yeah, being in, um, games media, I think, uh, leads to a position where the word gamer doesn't have like the best connotation, mm. uh, like Aurora like it's free. At least from my perspective, uh, seeing folks on Twitter being like, "Oh, the gamers are elite again." Uh, <laughs> it's maybe the pesky gamers. The pesky gamers, yeah. And I'm like, "Oh, who was the poor person who gave a game a nine instead of ten? Uh, and I'm now like <laughs> coming to deal with it, like a toxic fan base or something, mm. uh, which is awful. I mean." W- we all kind of like laugh about it, but it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's not great because it keeps happening over and over. Yes. Um, but that's one way of looking, like, that's the pessimist way of looking at war. Uh, the other, the other way I'll say it's, um, I think so. I mean, uh, it always been a big passion of mine, uh, ever since I was a kid, like all my early memories are like, uh, like playing something. Uh, mm. that music, but, uh, games. Yeah. I mean, um, there's always this thing where if you're working in games, uh, it depends on the people, well, on the person, of course. Uh, but it maybe leads to a place where it's hard to like actually enjoy them in your mm. free time. Uh, because if you're like, I don't know, talking about games or like playing games for work or something for an entire day. Uh, and then you sit on the couch and you're like, <laughs> I want to play a game. I, yeah. like, I'm going to like cook something or like take a shower and go to sleep immediately or like maybe watch something on Netflix or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's been happening to me now that I'm better at uh, managing my own time and having breaks and everything. Um, where Maybe I just play something like, I don't know, Chikori, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, like something like Inscription. And yeah, I saw everyone on Twitter talking about those games. Uh, and I was like, I don't have time for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but making the time and enjoying them for my own leisure. Uh, and just like finding, I don't know, finding something like funny or something rewarding for them. Uh, and that takes me back, I think, to like, oh yeah, this is why, like, I always like games in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Just like them, 
show me like a new world that I was expecting uh, that can be hilarious, can be sad, can be, I don't know, emotional. Um, and I don't know, and like losing myself in that experience, even if it's just for like half an hour. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I would say, yeah, in that sense, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I very occasionally write video game reviews and I very consciously will not, I don't pick a game that I want to, that I really am excited about or that I think I'm really going to like, because I feel like when I'm asked to put on a critical hat, like I engage critically with everything I, I love um, because Mm -hmm. that's part of how I show my love for it is by thinking through and, um, you know, just dreaming up (laughs) situations or, or, loving it so much that I want it to be even better. Um, And uh, I sometimes feel like if I'm being asked to put on a critical hat, I might sometimes pay too much attention to like what I should be analyzing about it. And I'm, it takes me out of the immersion of just being able to fully offer myself to it and like give into the experience of it. Um, And I also find that I get caught up in like, what are other people thinking about this game and should that shape how I think about it, which can be yeah. hard to push back on. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely, uh, yeah, that's hard to like, uh, push back sometimes, mm. uh, like the critical consensus of something. Uh, mm. like I always think we always have that fear when we're like doing a review where it's like, I don't know, maybe it's like a review of like uh, unexpected game or something you're like not vibing with it too much mm. uh you're like afraid of oh maybe like everyone loves the everyone <laughs> yeah. loves the game except for me uh and i keep seeing a lot of like established folks that have been doing mm. this for years uh that keep having the same thought maybe like mm. oh i'm glad that this game is having mixed reviews because i wasn't sure if i was gonna like get dragged about it or not on Twitter. Um, So, yeah, that's... uh, Yeah, it's... When you're in the bubble, it's kind of hard. Uh, I mean, we we wouldn't see, like, a lot of people, like, pushing that either way. And Mm. it leads to, like, some great work. Mm. Um, Especially around AAA games, I think. Um, But, yeah, it's, it's tough. On this podcast, we like to invite folks to talk to us about a game that has had a certain impact on their life. Uh, You came to us with a game, technically two games, Persona 5 and Persona 5 Royal, um, games that have certainly consumed a combined 500 hours of my own life. And so I'm very excited (laughs) to talk to you about them. Um, Just for the folks at home, uh, Persona 5 uh, came out in 2016. It is a Japanese role-playing video game developed by Atlas. um, And it's the sixth installment in the Persona series, which is a part of the larger Megami Tensei franchise. Um, And then Royal which is an expanded and uh, sort of updated, remastered version of the game, came out in 2019. Um, and essentially just sort of a high-level plot summary, very high-level, is that you know beneath the facade of a typical urban high school life, uh, a group of teenagers uh, find power in embracing aspects of their self that society has encouraged them to hide. Um, and by day, they're essentially going about their 
city business, going to school, hanging out with friends. And at night, they jump into Tokyo's collective unconscious and battle manifestations of the public's dark and twisted desires, MBD. Um, Diego, you told us that the game hit differently both times uh, that you played it, uh, Persona 5 and then Royal. I'd love to hear you talk more about your relationship to these games. Of course. First of all, that was an ex- excellent summary of the game. Thank you. Like, that was great. <laughs> um, yeah, so... You can tell I've played them a lot. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Persona 5. So my relationship with Persona was almost non-existent mm. uh, until 2016. Um, I was starting going out with whom became uh, my partner for uh, almost three years during that mm. time. Um, and she was a super, su- I mean, she still is a super big fan of uh, Persona games. Uh, and at some point she was like, you should like try and like at least play uh persona 4 uh when i got like a, a ps3 i was like okay i don't remember probably, like 15 hours a month uh, mm. which is like the tutorial basically yeah. for, for <laughs> right. these games you may have not uh, even hit the title screen <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 basically um but she was like super anticipating uh persona 5 obviously uh mm. and when it came out which came out on april 4th uh um like the world war release we was which was also my birthday oh. um yeah coincidentally <laughs> uh i remember like saving money and like uh gifting them persona five uh so like yeah we started it together in my birthday and i was like ah this game is great like why did yeah. i get two copies of this <laughs> um basically uh so yeah i started playing it that year um uh, and, and as I said, it was also the first year that I started like uh, freelancing for international sites. Mm. Uh, so it was like, and also on a more personal side of things, I think um, I spent a lot of time with uh, with my partner. Uh, but the previous years have been a bit lonely, I think. Uh, like that time in between. Uh, me finishing high school mm. and uh, trying to like study different careers until like, I stumbled uh, in journalism. I went to be a graphic designer and that mm. didn't work out very well. Um, uh, there was like this gap between high school and me getting my first full-time job mm. uh, where I was like seeing friends but not hanging out too much. Yeah. Uh, so like Pretty much my weekends were more of a uh, missing my partner. And then uh, when I was to see my partner, I was playing Persona 5. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I would play Persona 5, I remember, for like 10 to 14 hours sometimes. Oh, yeah. uh, because I just couldn't stop. Like the, the game loop is, it's, I don't know, <laughs> it's engulfing, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was my routine for, for a long while. Um, and yeah, I think the the themes uh, about like friendship and bonding, and like they, this small group that uh, like it sits together to one another despite like I don't know fighting angry politicians or angry fighting God at the end because it's <laughs> right. a <an> RPG. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, it was 
I don't know. It was very touching in many ways. Um, definitely. Uh, and I remember like relating to a lot of that stuff uh, with Spine. Mm. Uh, I made like this parallelism, I think, in my mind between like, um, I don't know, like that group of like Phantom Thieves and like my group of people and like freelancers. Um, and that kind of stuck with me mm. during those years. Uh, and when Royal came out, it was a whole different, yeah, a whole different like uh, situation for me because it was like, for example, I didn't cover like the original Persona 5 for work. Uh, mm. And I was assigned a review of Persona 5 Royal uh, at, the, at the time. Um, so the expectation was already like different. Uh, from like the, the experience, I would say. Yeah. Uh, so it's like playing it for review. We like, uh, like trying to hit the embargo and everything. Um, but then I kind of like left the game there for like mm-hmm. months. Uh, like I got to see a hint of the like the new act uh, mm-hmm. that Royal has. Like after where the like original game is supposed to end. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I miss that. Like I miss a whole bit. Um, mm-hmm. And when I resume that, uh, like almost a year after, um, I was single, mm-hmm. uh, and spine, um, like the Discord server wasn't in like a the best place mm-hmm. uh, because to like make like a short summary because it's a it's a long story. Uh, there were like a lot of things that I didn't uh, catch with enough time. Mm. Uh, the kind of like snowball in the background. Mm. Uh, maybe it was like somebody not feeling uh, as secure as other like quote unquote established writers, despite the fact mm. that we all were like sharing our uh, struggles, we like trying to like uh, find a place in the industry. Uh, and there was also um, a case that happened that we found out that uh, someone was very close to all of us, uh, mm-hmm. very active in the server as well. Um, some um, victims started talking, mm-hmm. uh, survivors, sorry, started talking on social media mm-hmm. uh, and basically saying, hey, that person is an abuser. Mm-hmm. Uh, are we had no idea about it it was like mm-hmm. hurt like hurt wrenching basically yeah uh for everyone just like uh again like this person had like a big big presence there yeah. uh and it was yeah it was like a tough time and like recently persona 5 um without spoiling too much of that last act, because I think it's worth seeing and worth playing. Yeah. Um, I think it's... Like, finishing Persona 5 was, like, uh, the group, like, saying goodbye to one another, but being like, hey, we're going to be seeing each other, like, soon again. Mm-hmm. Um, Persona 5 really felt more like a proper farewell mm-hmm. of them, like, going... In, I don't know what Atlus is going to plan if they're going to like keep making games on the franchise or not. Uh, <laughs> but it was more like uh, 
then going on their separate ways. Uh, and that difference was like, like I saw that ending uh, last year, uh, and like resuming the game and seeing that I can name uh, like the investigation group when they gave you like the option to name, uh, to give them a name, like a chosen into the spine. <laughs> uh, and seeing into the spine and being like, ah, right, I have forgotten about this. Uh, yeah, it was, it served as a closure. Yeah. Um, one that had been like lingering for a long time. Um, but it was also tough <laughs> yeah. to, to, I don't know, to face, I think. Absolutely. I am. Um, it, what you what you're speaking of reminds me of something my therapist has been trying to remind of me recently, which is that um, pain, the expectation that um, you know, working on communication, working on yourself, um, being the best person you can be, that doesn't mean that we're going to ever be able to completely remove pain from our lives. Pain is a constant, and it's about how we're able to move through it and uh, what we can learn from it um, and how we can care for ourselves through it. Um, But there's a difference between pain and suffering, uh, Mm. which is the control that we have over uh, ourselves and the the ability to move forward um, and, and, that the pain is something to teach us. Um, so knowing very little about your situation, <laughs> I just want to honor that. Like, um, I think it's really amazing how the game sort of provided this poetic parallel to what you're going through in your own life. And even though um, it was painful, um, it was something that uh, the game was able to support you through and that you ultimately moved through too. And uh, hoping that you're in a, much better place in your life now. Um, but thank you for sharing that. Um, I think uh, we've talked about Persona 5 uh, Royal on the podcast um, before. And something I was remembering, Jamie, how you were telling me, um, like one of the things you've loved about this game is that um, like you didn't want it to end. Like and Diego, when you were talking about the gameplay loop, um, I just remember Jamie, you saying how you didn't want the game to end because it, it so perfectly emulated that feeling of, um, you know, having a tight knit group of friends, finding those pockets through the week to hang out with them, making sure you were making time to like when you're a young person, uh, like getting out of school, doing an activity and then going home in the evening. Like it felt like there were so many options throughout the day to like do different activities. Um, that doesn't always feel the same, uh, as an adult. Um, I don't know, Jamie, if you had any Persona 5 feelings <laughs> you <laughs> recalled as Diego was talking about it. I mean, I loved it. <laughs> Strikers Strikers didn't do enough for me. <laughs> I know, I Strikers is not the sequel that I wanted. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, I need more catchy. that's all. <laughs> but yeah, that, that feeling of being in a group um, and... that easy camaraderie um like the scenes where everyone would just be hanging out in the cafe and someone would be eating some pocky and someone else would be on their phone and someone else would be playing a handheld video game like it all just felt so lived in and real um and i just i I really love that about the game too Mm -hmm. yeah 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 it definitely helped to like uh fill a gap 
I think, mm. uh, that I had in terms of like, um, like I had friends, but I had like kind of like this distance myself from them. Uh, mm. I came around in recent years and I'm like, uh, like a much, um, I don't know. There's like more people in my life today, uh, which I'm grateful for. Mm-hmm. Um, but it definitely felt like, uh, you know, like a reminder of that, uh, in both like instances, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a very important game, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. and it came even more important in ways that I wasn't expecting, uh, when I played Royal. So, uh, yeah, they definitely, uh, yeah, there are like two games that I'm, or like one game, rather, uh, <laughs> that I probably like always have in mind, I think. Mm-hmm. It's a constant struggle for me to not just go and replay Persona 5 when there's so many other games to play. Because oh, I know that yeah. I'll just spend months <laughs> playing it and nothing else. Basically, yeah, I like, uh, I had a couple of days of like holiday. Uh, in December, <laughs> I was like, "Finally, I can I can catch up on all these games that I missed this year." Yeah, but I could also play Persona Five Royal yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because the new game plus is right there. So As why not? Right there. <laughs> <laughs> so clickable. Why shouldn't I? <laughs> Diego, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Where can folks follow you and keep up with your work? Thank you so much. Um, yeah, folks can find me procrastinating on Twitter at Diego Arguello 66 That's Arguello. Uh, and you can also uh, follow Into the Spine at Into the Spine on Twitter. Uh, and also see my work at Fanbyte. That's at Fanbyte Media on Twitter as well. Um, and yeah, I'm always online. So <laughs> always a, a comment or DM away for... Uh, and if I also say that uh, if any like new... Uh, writers or like folks who like are maybe like thinking about writing or mm-hmm. listening to this episode uh, reach out because I would love to like help in any way I can that's amazing Diego thank you so much for joining us thank you up for today's session of pixel therapy thank you for tuning in and we hope that listening to our thoughts and feelings gave you some thoughts and feelings of your own if you want more Pixel Therapy, come check us out at patreon.com slash pixeltherapypod, where you can snag that monthly bonus episode for just $2 a month, plus opportunities to get involved with the community and influence the show directly. If you're not up for contributing monetarily, but you enjoyed this episode, you can show your support for free by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts and following us on Twitter and Instagram at pixeltherapypod. That stuff is just as important, and we appreciate it just as much. Remember that Pixel Therapy is a happy member of the But Why Though Podcast Network, so you can support us by supporting them and heading over to butwhythopodcast.com. That's though with a T-H-O. Take a peek at the inclusive geek community they're building around pop culture news, reviews, and kick-ass podcasts like yours truly. And you can keep up with all of this stuff and more by visiting our website at pixeltherapypod.com. Finally, since we like to put our money and our energy where our mouth is, we end every episode with a recommended side quest. Um, It is Black History Month here in the U.S. Happy Black History Month. And while we should be supporting and uplifting Black folks all year round, we did want to take a minute to talk to you folks about the National Black Justice Coalition. Um, Since 2003... 
The National Black Justice Coalition has been America's leading national civil rights organization dedicated to the empowerment of Black, lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, queer, and same-gender loving people, including people living with HIV and AIDS through coalition building, federal policy change, research, and education. NBJC's mission is to end racism, homophobia, and LGBTQ slash SGL, which um, for same gender loving um, bias and stigma. NBJC supports Black individuals, families, and communities in strengthening the bonds and bridging the gaps between the movements for racial justice and the LGBTQ plus equity. Um, you can find out more about this really great organization and donate at NBJC.org. Thank you for that side quest, Spencer. That is our show for today. So go forth, run a story mission, level up some stats, and don't forget to hug an NPC every now and then. We'll be back soon with some more Pixel Therapy. Therapy. Bye-bye.